Hi, this is Chandra Brigman, and you're listening to Live from the Cafe, recorded live at Venture Cafe Cambridge, where innovation is for everyone. The following conversation tackles the emergency savings challenge for underserved communities through a variety of engagement models and non-traditional channels. The presenters discuss what it will take from the fintech ecosystem for everyday Americans to move beyond short-term financial security to long-term wealth. All right, so we wanted to show that just to give um, a little bit of a taste of the type of people that we are talking about when we're designing products for financially underserved. So um, Tyler is married with kids, but he has a low income um, and has not necessarily been savings. And you can see that he doesn't have a bank account either due to lack of access or distrust of the financial system. Um, and some of the things he's looking for in a financial product that he found in the money card that he couldn't find elsewhere were convenience, um, fast payments, and ability to get his paycheck, and then money to cover emergencies. And then also the prize feature, so a little extra incentive that makes savings feel worth it and possible for him. Um, so with that, I got to the fun part of the presentation. I'm going to hand things over to Brian to talk about how we design these solutions. So my name is Brian. I'm a director with Commonwealth. I've uh, been with the organization for about four years and just want to talk a little bit more about um, how we think about the challenges that folks face, uh, specifically underserved com uh, consumers, uh, especially as it relates to the challenge of small dollar savings. Um, so the, the Walmart money card is just one example of um, you know, what we think is a, a financial technology. So maybe not a fintech, but uh, it's a partnership that we developed to uh, create a prize-based feature on their Walmart money card to incentivize folks to put money um, from that spend pocket into the save pocket. And I'll talk a little bit more about why we think prizes are important around savings. But the other piece of the technology that um, I think is really interesting and something we've learned from consumer interviews with folks uh, who use the, the Walmart money card is the ability to move funds uh, between the spend and save uh, part of that card as much as 20 times per day. So when you think about a traditional savings account, uh, usually there's with re restrictions on withdrawals. Um, it, you know, it's not thought of as something that you're using frequently. But when you think about uh, people experiencing volatility uh, to the extent that we're talking about and needing to manage their funds in a way that if they're living paycheck to paycheck, that level of control over their finances is really critical. So users have told us stories about They'll put all their funds into the save side of that Walmart money card and keep it there because it's secure, it's safe. If they lose that card, then folks can't access it through an ATM. The only way to get it out is through the app. And the app has a really easy functionality where you can immediately swipe those funds from the save side to the spend side. So they'll put all the funds in the, spend, in the save side. They'll go to the you know, cashier to check out. They'll see what the amount is. And then they'll be able to move that amount specifically for that purchase onto the spend side. So it gives folks a level of control that you often don't see in other traditional financial services. So highlighting that a little bit as an example of the types of you know, technology solutions that can give people control over their finances and also allow them to save while having the flexibility to access those funds when they need it for a regular expense or, in the case of Tyler, like a broken down truck that he needed to manage um, that expense. 
So we frame this as you know myth busting and designing for uh, underserved co consumers. So I'm just going to talk through uh, a few myths uh, that you know we think are prominent and that I think lead to financial services not focusing on this segment. Um, the first myth is, and again, we're focusing on savings, that, that this is an un or underbanked problem only, that this is really something that is just focused on um, the poorest of the poor. And we've already covered a lot of stats that demonstrate the expansiveness of this problem. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because there's lots of stats. Um, but you know, one that I'll call out is that, uh, and it's often been cited, and I think there's more attention to it, that 40% of the country would struggle to come up with $400 in an emergency without borrowing, using a credit card, uh, tapping friends and family. So, uh, and if you dig into that detail a little bit, or that data in a little bit more detail, these aren't just folks, you know, who are unbanked. Um, Ninety plus percent of the country has a bank account, um, but forty percent still are struggling to come up, uh, you know, with that four hundred dollars. We saw in the stats earlier, seventy percent have a savings account, but again, you know, forty percent, um, you know, are struggling with that amount. This is also people who are working, um, you know, people who are, you know, have jobs but they're living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, some of them may be uh, well above the poverty line, but because of rising costs of living, because of debt that they're managing, they're still struggling with that, you know, finding those liquid funds for an emergency expense. So uh, there's a couple of other stats uh, up there. Uh, again, don't want to spend too much time on them. The, the critical part to think is that if you're talking about 40% of the country, that is a diverse group of people. Uh, and also, we think, you know, a market opportunity to better serve consumers who are struggling financially um, and particularly struggling with savings. So a second myth is that current savings products are meeting people's needs. Like, they're good. You know, we've got the savings products. People just aren't using them. Uh, and we don't think that is true for a number of reasons. One, uh, traditional savings vehicles can be difficult to access. Uh, and you know, there's different ways that you can define access. One might be that they have uh, you know, uh, minimum balances that you need to meet in order to open them. Or they may have fees associated with them that just make it hard for someone to um, you know, open that account. Uh, another, uh, you know, type of access, as I was saying earlier, is the, you know, ability to withdraw funds. So if you feel like you can't lock your funds away because you don't know when that next expense is going to come, then your funds are all of a sudden are inaccessible, and so that's going to limit your ability or your willingness to open up that savings account. So they're not really designed for short-term emergencies. When we think about emergency savings, we think about this behavior of you build up a balance, ideally you maintain that balance, but you know an expense is going to come, uh, and so sometimes you have to draw down that balance. Sometimes you might have multiple of those unexpected expenses, but that then you can easily build that back up. So this sort of build and rebuild mentality, and traditional savings accounts really weren't designed with that behavior in mind. That's also another reason we flagged that money card experience of being able to move the funds 20 times times a day, um, that's a, you know, rethinking of what it means to save. I think some, you know, traditional financial institutions might not think of that as a savings account, and they actually can't call it a savings account because it has that level of flexibility, but people are using it to save and to manage their funds. Um, I mean, the other thing, you know, interest rates, they're not motivating 
to help people save. They're minimal or non-existent. Even high yield interest rates, if you're talking about a small balance saver, you look at that over an annual period and it's like 30 or 40 cents, even if you have a 2% interest rate, if you're talking about small balances that are fluctuating up and down. So the you know most typical uh, feature that gets modified to bring funds in is interest rate. And for the folks who can't come with up with $400 in emergency easily, that's not gonna motivate them to change. Um, and then the, um, you know, no access to employers today. Um, you know, we see employers as a uh, very, you know, strong potential to help people build a saving solution. And you can split your deposit through your employer, but the process of doing that usually requires multiple forms through payroll. It's not something that's easily uh, accessible and presented to folks. So that's just one other access point that is something the Commonwealth's been thinking a lot about, about, you know, how to, um, you know, think about the savings products, how they're presented to folks, and make them easily accessible at critical moments in their financial lives. So, again, uh, a, a myth that the savings accounts are meeting folks' needs, we would say that that is not the case today. Uh, related to that, I, I hinted at this, but the specific regulatory barrier um, that uh, can limit the value of traditional savings accounts is Reg D, which essentially limits the withdrawals that you can take from a savings account to six in a given month. Um, the, it's an interesting regulation in that that's not that doesn't apply if you're transacting in person. So that just adds a level of confusion. So from a user design perspective, you know, how many withdrawals can I take out? Well, it's six unless you come into the bank, and then it's maybe as many as you want. And there's, it's not clear what the justification is behind that design. Um, and the other piece to that is that after that uh, six withdrawal, you might be fined or you might have that account closed. And you know, folks who are not paying you know, very close attention or just like desperately need those funds, they're gonna accept that fine or maybe accept that uh, closing of the account to get that money out. So again, you know, for folks with volatile income on expected expenses, that regulatory challenge um, is a real barrier to folks. I think for this slide and the previous one, what I interpret that as is that these accounts were really designed with the financial institution in mind, whether that's uh, from a business perspective or from a regulatory perspective. They weren't really thinking about what the user experience is and, and what it needs to be to make that savings uh, meet their needs. The third myth is that people don't want to save. Um, before I talk about savings, uh, I, as I was thinking about this, um, I, you know, behavioral economics has uh, explained to us that a person's, and they've highlighted this really clearly, that uh, a person's behavior doesn't always align perfectly with what we think their expressed desires or preferences are. Uh, and a great example of that is um, everybody's internal organs. You think we probably value our internal organs. We want to keep them inside our bodies. We have, you know, strong feelings about those. I would assume most of you have strong feelings about what you want to happen with your internal organs. But when you look at organ donation, um, there are uh, countries that have people opt out of organ donation and countries that have people opt into organ donation. If you opt into organ donation, like in the US, about 15% will opt in to say, yes, I would like to donate my organs when I pass on. In the opt out countries, 90% decide 
to, to have organ donation be something that they select. So when you think about like strongly held preferences, in my mind, that's something that you, if, if you ask that, people would say like, yeah, I have a strong opinion on that. But if you simply change the experience of deciding whether or not to you know, opt out or opt into organ donation, you get vastly different results. So I think that sort of mentality we think applies to savings as well. People want to save. They know they need to save. They have a strong intention to save, but for some reason, it's just not happening. And maybe there are design elements that we could consider to change that reality. But so some of those behavioral barriers that we think about is like saving is a future focused thing and humans are notoriously bad at prioritizing their future self. Uh, we are present focused, we're living in the moment. And so if you're delaying some gratification, if you're imagining a future expense that hasn't happened yet and thinking about how that savings that you accrued is gonna make you feel better in some unexpected time horizon, that's really hard for us to do. Um, so that is one. The um, focus on self-sacrifice and delayed gratification and also the messaging around that that you know, can be very um, paternalistic of like, don't buy that cup of coffee, just makes people feel bad about spending. It doesn't make you feel good, which is a, a much more effective way to motivate behavior. We've already talked about the sort of limited poor access points, um, lack of automation. Um, Commonwealth sees a lot of uh, opportunities, design or tech-driven opportunities, to find those right moments where people do have the ability to save and make it really easy for them. Uh, just a few examples, the tax time moment. We've spent a lot of time in the tax time moment where people have uh, a sudden uh, spike in their income. If you, the, the JPMC uh, Chase Institute research that we highlighted about income volatility, a lot of the income volatility they see happens in March and December when people have spikes because either they're earning more or because they got their refund in the March time period. So, you know, financial institutions have that data. They know when that's happening. Are they actively communicating with their consumers about what to do in those moments? Um, there's also the, you know, well-known kind of like fifth, uh, fifth Friday or the additional paycheck that you get in a month. You know, for some folks, that is that feels like a little bonus. What a great opportunity for whether a financial institution or an employer to nudge folks at that time. But that's not how we're thinking about saving at the moment. We're not using those moments and those opportunities where people might feel a little bit flush to both suggest to them that they should do something active uh, around their finances, and then also make it really easy for them to do it, not you know sign multiple forms or click through multiple links in order to take that action. So we see those as, again, design opportunities that could be driven by data and technology innovations, whether those are happening direct to consumer through new fintechs or through fintechs enabling employers or financial institutions to you know, change that consumer experience. Um, so just a couple of other things, uh, you know, uh, one, going back to the kind of cup of coffee experience, um, my boss has made this comparison where in some ways saving is competing with spending. And if you think about the, you know, experience of buying a cup of coffee, you're walking into a familiar location, the person behind the counter might know your name, um, you get an in immediate reward for that $5 you just spent. It feels like a really good experience. Um, the savings customer experience just is not that at all. Couldn't be further from that. It's like I decide maybe to click into my bank account and select some amount of funds. I'm not sure how much. I move it over to that 
and then the number changes. And like you, and we're supposed to just assume that people are going to do that um, on their own accord. So just thinking about that customer experience, like you know, savings is competing with spending, uh, and so how how do we do that better through uh, technology and design? And I think that related relates to this last piece of everyone knows what savings means. Uh, I, I think savings is a very complicated word. We talk about it all the time, uh, but it's a very complicated term, uh, and it can mean many different things to many different folks. We've sort of hi highlighted Walmart in a positive way um, around their uh, Walmart money card and the product that, um, that we collaborated with them on. Um, but if you also think about their slogan, it's save money, live better. And they're not talking about the Walmart money card and the savings vault. They're talking about spending at Walmart. So they've, you know, one of the most powerful consumer motivators to make you spend more money says save money, live better. So just, again, that sort of terminology has been co-opted by the retail industry to get people to part with their funds. Um, there's also the time horizon. So I'm talking a lot about emergency savings, which is really about this sort of um, build up, draw down, build up. Um, but there's saving for soon, where you might, you know, there's maybe an expense that you are planning for that requires a larger amount of funds and might need a different account structure and a different user experience. And then there's later, like for retirement or for your kid's education that might need another user experience and another, um, you know, type of account. And some of these are out there, but I, you know, it, it, we see more opportunity to think about these different use cases for savings and what the behavior is that you're trying to um, support someone towards and then designing around that. Uh, yeah, I think, and then this sort of piece about savings should be a habit and not a number. I think that, you know, really again ties to kind of the behavioral design aspect of this of, you know, there's not some magic number that once you get to you're good and you can stop saving. There's definitely some data points out there that suggest what, uh, you know, valuable amounts would be to get at, but we really want to just get people in the habit of saving and making them feel good about that. So we, again, this is kind of just an overview of the what we see as barriers to small dollar savings that are tied to the kind of myths of, uh, about the current reality of saving solutions in the country. Um, shifting a little bit back to the fun and excitement, like what do you do about this? And I, we've hinted at, at this a little bit uh, through um, Taylor's conversation uh, and some of my points. But one way to transform the saving experience is through the opportunity to win a prize. Um, so prize link savings is something that um, we, Commonwealth, we didn't discover because it exists in 20 plus countries internationally. It's been uh, around in the UK since the late 60s through a UK premium bond, like it's a government bond that has a prize component. Um, but we brought it to the US about 10 years ago in a pilot with uh, some credit unions in Michigan. And the basic idea is that people earn a chance to win a prize for saving money. Why is that important? Because of all the things I just talked about, about savings being boring and future focused and delayed gratification, suddenly it's you know a ticket into a chance to win something fun and exciting. Uh, there's su suspense, there's excitement, there's you know the potential for you to be rewarded. Um, Tyler's talking about an experience where just for saving money, he won $1,000. And that was so shocking to him that when he was told that he won $1,000, he was like, yeah, right. And they, they, you know, the guy said, 
said, well, it'll be in your account anyway. I understand that you don't believe me. Um, and, but it, you know, this shouldn't be shocking because we should re be rewarding people for taking this financial behavior. And we should be thinking about how to incentivize them better. Um, the powerful thing about prizes is that it's already an established consumer behavior through the lottery. Um, millions of people play the lottery. Massachusetts has the distinction, I think, of having the highest per capita spend on the lottery, and it's several hundred dollars a year, and it's like more than people spend on milk, uh, you know, every year. So it, you know, the, this is a behavioral experience that people get; they understand, uh, and you can co-opt it for uh, more responsible financial behaviors. Um, and again, you know, this is an opportunity where uh, technology and design can come into play. Uh, and just to highlight that, uh, since we've been doing so, as I said, this about 10 years ago, we want, launched um, a PrizeLink savings product called Save to Win um, with the Michigan Credit Union Leagues that's up there. Um, but in the 10 years, through policy change, through dissemination, through uh, you know just a lot of time and effort talking about this, there is a growing product landscape out there, including some fintechs like uh, Long Game and Flourish, who are taking a direct-to-consumer approach to um, you know, introducing this concept of winning a prize for savings. Uh, there's another product up here or that's not up here um, called Omnitrium that is thinking about how to help uh, banks and credit unions to digitize the experience of a prize link savings account. Um, so this is just one example of how you might transform the savings experience to make it a little bit more fun and exciting. The other one that I just wanted to touch on quickly is the use of games and gamification. So sort of parallel to prizes in some ways, um, but thinking about rather than monetary rewards, some you know, intangible rewards, just that you know, the feeling of uh, moving forward a game uh, that is really powerful. So Commonwealth, uh, in our history, developed a suite of games that taught financial concepts in a less stressful, um, more accessible, more fun and exciting way, which is, you know, I, I think we're I've been talking a lot about savings, but kind of finances as a whole often feels serious and stressful, sometimes shameful, especially for people who uh, maybe don't feel comfortable with the, the concepts or don't have a lot of money. So you can use games to just lighten the, the you know, mechanism of talking about these topics and make it feel accessible uh, and, and less overwhelming. But in that experience of building these games that's touched on a variety of different topics, uh, we realized that just you know talking about the concept isn't going to drive action taking. So how do you build action taking into the game or the gamification experience? Um, and so you know this is probably not surprising to folks, but like the idea of Fitbit has been very powerful in the health space, and Fitbit is one of many examples. You know why not apply that uh, same sort of thinking and design? to uh, short-term savings. We did that with an app called Savings Quest. Um, so the idea was to encourage micro savings uh, in its pilot phase. It was tied to a prepaid card, so a prepaid card that had a, a spend side and a save side. And the app um, encouraged people to microsave, so you know, save as little as a penny uh, through a number of different features and mechanisms that are typically uh, associated with gamification, like earning badges, um, having a level that, that you can increase over time, completing different savings challenges. Um, and my favorite component was Dig the Pig, who is up there, would celebrate every save with a dance. Uh, and there was like six different dances, salsa, hip hop, 
country. I wish we uh, like had set up the debt. So we, we can show you this and demo it if you want. Um, but the idea was to make savings feel good, just to like celebrate you a little bit and say, like, great job. You moved a dollar into your savings account. That's worth feeling good about and excited about. And Dig is going to celebrate you for that. Um, so this is, again, another example of this you know, designing and, and potentially leveraging technology to transform that savings experience. Um, so those are two examples. They're certainly not exhaustive. I, I talked a little bit about um, you know, the moments in time, golden moments, like the tax refund or uh, you know, an extra paycheck. Um, but these are not going to solve the um, extent of that problem of 40% of the country not being able to come up with $400 for an emergency. So we're a part of an initiative um, that uh, is funded by BlackRock. So they formed a social impact team. They looked at the landscape of financial security issues, said, wow, this emergency savings challenge is a real one, and we need some you know, dedicated effort to solve it. Uh, and so working with um, Common Sense Lab out of Duke University and the Financial Health Network, uh, we are collaborating to identify um, partners across different sectors to uh, you know, design, deploy, evaluate, and ideally scale solutions to address emergency savings. Whether those are direct-to-consumer solutions, whether those are through employers, traditional financial institutions, gig platforms, retailers, we see this as kind of an all-hands-on-deck problem in part because the you know, financial institutions have not taken the lead um, on this issue, but also because people you know, transact financially in a lot of different contexts. And these are all moments where you might be able to leverage to help support their financial goals. We're focused on emergency savings through this initiative, but you could apply this to other financial challenges as well. And it does really require innovative, creative thinking, um, whether that's through design or technology innovations, to try to tackle this. Um, so as the industry experts, as part of this initiative, we're recruiting those um, large-scale partners who can ideally deploy these uh, solutions and working closely with them and potentially other partners to, to figure out what's sort of the savings 2.0, uh, if you will, that's going to uh, move the needle on this challenge. Um, so it's going to include uh, uh, employee and customer research, development or enhancement of new and existing solutions, identifying product partnerships. So, um, it, you know, if there are innovative saving solutions out there and they just need to get into the hands of more people, uh, how might we do that through these kind of new distribution channels like employers, uh, retailers, maybe, um, you know, uh, uh, other new partners that we haven't identified yet? Um, but the ultimate goal of this effort is really to inform the broader field and the, whether it's the asset building field, the financial services field, uh, about how to solve this one challenge. So the goal is to um, develop these partnerships, put real products out into the marketplace, uh, you know, evaluate them, share the findings, and then hopefully that is going to inspire other actors to do the same. Uh, and so we get to sort of that tipping point where, you know, thinking about the importance of emergency savings and designing it in a way that motivates action taking doesn't feel novel and surprising, but it's just like the way that we do business, um, you know, when it comes to this topic. So I think that is my time. Thank you. Um, yeah. Good. Some questions? Yeah, so happy to, to answer some questions. Hello, good afternoon. I just want to clarify, because in the, 
in the first video involving Tyler, um, it was mentioned that the reason why he does not have a bank account is either he is he has a distrust or he has no access. So do you have data on the number or the percentage of people who are unbanked or underserved who distrust uh, financial institutions? That's why they are not um, having any account? So the, the FDIC has data that is pretty comprehensive to indicate how many people are on or underbanked. Uh, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. I think you know the the reasons why can be diverse, uh, and you know I, I would say our data is a little bit more anecdotal. But um, certainly, you know, folks who have had bank accounts in the past and have been hit with uh, an unexpected fee or multiple fees, whether those were overdraft fees, the withdrawal restriction fees, you know, they've had a bad experience and you know don't want to go back to that financial institution. Uh, and so, you know, Walmart just as an example, and I want to say, you know, we're not endorsing Walmart or the Walmart money card. It happens to be a, a product that we worked on. Uh, but, you know, Walmart has a lot of trust for folks. Uh, Tyler happened to work there, and as an associate, you know, he had a friend say, try the Walmart money card. Um, so that, you know, like distrust of financial institutions and word of mouth referral to another product um, might have led him to choose that product specifically. But we think about, you know, the distrust based on fees, uh, but also, you know, if you have um, poor credit um, or you've had a derogatory, you know, mark, uh, you don't get through what's known as the check system. So that could just be a barrier to getting a traditional financial institution account where the prepaid products provide an alternative uh, for those folks. Uh, but if you want to know specific data, the FDIC does have a, a survey of the kind of un and underbanked households. It's a fairly small number of, of you know folks who are specifically underbanked. It's under 10%, I want to say. Other questions? Yeah. You talked there about how many of your gamifications and making savings fun and going to employers and going to different places. Why not go younger and go to colleges and high schools? Yeah, so I mean, we've definitely, uh, like, as we presented these solutions, have heard that there, you know, there's likely a market there. Um, I mean, our focus has just been on the kind of working class, um, low to moderate income households. And originally, the games were designed with the folks who manage the finances in the households, which are usually women between ages of like 30. 35 to 45, so that was our target area. Um, I I think there are some um, forward-thinking fintechs who are you know starting to target younger audiences and think about this solution. Uh, it's just that's not sort of a priority market of ours. But I think it's yeah. I mean we believe that these solutions. Um, are relevant across demographics, especially the prize-based solutions. If you look at who plays the lottery, um, it you know is impactful across demographics. But I think you're absolutely right that these would be effective for younger audiences as well. Hi, I was wondering if you could talk about uh, different cultures, uh, different communities um, of color in communities that don't speak English just a, as a first language? And how do you then engage that group of people to get them on board in, in every area? Did you, did you test or pilot some of those in other areas? 
Yeah, so I, I would say that's, for Commonwealth, that is not a focus area, an area of expertise of ours, but is incredibly relevant. Um, I, one thing that comes to mind is that, that we've seen, again, technology facilitating is the use of um, saving circles or lending circles, uh, which is often uh, a strategy used by, you know, specific communities, some communities of color, and that, um, but have been very informal groups where technologies like um, lending circles from the Mission Asset Fund out in San Francisco and Isuzu, which is another fintech, um, are trying to convert those more communal saving solutions into a technology where you can still establish that trust, um, but you know, essentially leveraging uh, informal mechanisms that have been developed in communities. I think these absolutely, to your point, that um, those are design decisions as well of understanding your target population. I think. From a principled standpoint, we always start with who are you know who we think our end consumer is, and talking to them first and understanding what's going to resonate. Um, we just happen to focus not focus on um, non English speaking or communities of color for this work. Um, so thank you for the presentation um, and thank you for the work you're doing. Um, so my question would be: uh, You said you have the Walmart card, right? Um, and then is there any fees associated with having that card? Um, and then my second question would be, uh, where they get their initial money into that account? Like, do you guys give them that money or they, do they have their own money that they have to put into that card? Sure. Yeah, so there, there are fees associated with it, um, and they, they vary depend on how you use the card. Uh, I, I don't know the exact details, but there's a, a small monthly fee, and if you use it for direct deposit or you load a certain amount of money onto that card, the fee is waived. Um, there's there are likely I think ATM fees for out of network, um, but they're very clear and you know there's a, a disclosure about what all those fees are and that's a part of the card. So it's certainly not a fee free product. I think some of the differences like you know there's no overdraft fee because um, there's not an overdraft option uh, and the sense that the fees are sort of clear and described and transparent I think is where that sense of you know, trust comes in, you know, the, the folks accept fees as long as they know what they are and they know when they're going to incur them. Um, in terms of, you know, how folks get money on the card, so the, I mean, it's, it's, it functions essentially like a bank account product. So uh, you can use it for direct deposit, and many people do, so that, you know, when they're getting paid, that money is deposited directly on the card. You can also um, load funds at Walmarts, you know, so like if you have cash, there's a way to go to the Walmart Financial Services and load the funds on the cards. Um, for the prize part specifically, so Walmart funds the prize pool. They think of it as part of marketing. You know, it's a in some ways a you know customer acquisition cost where they have dedicated prize funds to drive take up and use of that card. Uh, and I, I, it's about maybe a little less than two hundred thousand dollars a year across their entire money card holder. So it's the prize structure is. $999, $25 prizes, and $1,000 prize each month. So somebody who has a calculator could do the math much more quickly than me. But so they're giving 1,000 prizes away each month, most of them smaller $25 prizes, $1,000 prize. And again, if you think about the lottery experience, most people are playing small dollar scratcher tickets. So they're giving up you know, one or two or five dollars. They're expecting to win you know, one or two or twenty dollars, but they've got this hope of a larger prize that's motivating them too. So it's really, you know, built on that mechanism of you know small and frequent prizes that people believe they can win. 
Awesome. Round of applause for Brian and Taylor, folks. Thank you to FinTech Sandbox Jeans and Tatiana for organizing. And I also see um, Sarah Biller <laughs> in the back here, who's also a great partner of ours. We, our next session is starting. Live from the Cafe is produced and disseminated by the Venture Cafe Foundation, a nonprofit organization striving to better connect the innovation community. To learn more about our events and resources, please visit us online at VentureCafeCambridge.org or come visit us at One Broadway in Cambridge, Massachusetts every Thursday from 3 to 8 p.m.